Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday Morning MV Pro Call. Today is October 14th, and I'd like to welcome those of you that are here live, as well as those of you listening to this via recording, which, of course, you can do by going to motivitality.com, where you can download years and years and years worth of the archives, or um, you can subscribe to whatever podcast application you use, Google Podcasts or iHeartRadio or, you know, any of those things. We're, we're there. Just subscribe to Motor Vitality. Don't forget the hyphen, and you'll, you'll uh, pop up. Um, it sounds like we have quite a few people on this morning. I always do really love having everybody on live. I love the discussions. They tend to be um, a lot more, uh, you know, kind of what I had in mind when, when we created this, this call, when Jen and I put this together years ago. We wanted to create a forum for um, people to talk about what we all run into every day out there, regardless of manufacturer or brand or company or, or you know, the, the truth is it doesn't matter which brand you sell, we're all running into the same things in the home. And, and so, again, those of you that are here live as, as well as those of you listening to this on recording, I, I really, I want to, every once in a while, I, I, you know, I always thank you guys for being here. But sometimes I really want to make sure that you, you hear it in my voice and you know how sincerely I appreciate you guys taking the time to come on this call to contribute the emails that I get for those of you that are only able to listen and recording the emails or text messages I get your comments and feedback are always very much appreciated as well um, but I it just uh, it's always my goal to try and make these calls valuable something that you walk away with it with knowledge or, or information or, or energy that you did not have before coming on to it. So um, thank you very much. I, on behalf of Motor Vitality, uh, the entire Motor Vitality team, I, I really do appreciate it. Um, with that, uh, the only announcement I really have right now is is uh, that we started last Thursday, though it's not too late to sign up if you're looking for your WQA certification. Um, every Thursday from 9.30 to 10.30, we are doing a guided course for WQA certification to get through, um, to help you get through your certification. If you're looking for information on that, like I said, the, the classes are recorded, so you can catch, uh, catch up on the one you missed last week or the one you might miss this morning, but it's not too late to get signed up for that course if you're looking um, for help getting your certification. So, um, so with that, I'm going to ask... Uh, are there, there are three questions I ask pretty much every week, um, unless we have a guest speaker. Uh, first is, um, is there anything anybody learned this last week that you wish you had known before? Anything that happened that's worthy of sharing with other water, water professionals across the country or anything we can help you with, any questions you might have that we can help you with? Kelly, I have a couple. Go ahead, Jen. If nobody else does. Okay. Um, been kind of a busy week. Uh, I, you know, you guys always hear me talk about Facebook and group Simon and stuff like that. Well, I happen to be in a well drillers group. And, you know, because there are a lot of people that are – this well driller group, drillers group is basically people can um, post something in there, a question about their own well, and, you know, just um, 
questions and, and hopefully somebody in, can answer it honestly and and um professionally and some of them are <laughs> some of them get so, not so professional but um <clears throat> we ha I had one that I saw and um they had asked what they they asked about a sediment filter. They said when I have my sediment filter um when I turn it so that the water goes through the sediment filter, I lose a lot of pressure. If I bypass it, then um, I have great water pressure. And so instead of people asking the question about, you know, why do you have that sediment filter and, you know, what are you trying to take out, um, a couple of people did mention that, you know, you need a, maybe you need a larger micron filter, um, you know, and, and so there were a couple of people that answered that, but there happened to be um, a well driller that's in my area that I've known about for years, even prior to me coming into the water industry. And it's, it's a name that um, everybody knows. It's, and um, just recently I ran across where he had gone to one of my friend's house. Um, she needed, in order to sell her home, he, she needed to have her a well tank replaced and because the family name is so well known she went with him well in the meantime while he's there he told her that she needed to take out her sediment filter because there was no need for sediment filters they're just going to um you know slow down your your flow and and everything else so she had a plumber come out and he had to do some work on the hot water tank and then also take out her sediment filter Four days later, she's sending me a message asking me if I can come fix her water softener because it's clogged. <laughs> and so we YouTubed it. I'm not sure if I told you guys the story. We YouTubed it and uh, we got it fixed with all kinds of crazy gadgets because she didn't even have any screwdrivers in her house. But the upper basket of the water softener it was a whirlpool. It was a um, something picked up at at you know, one of the big box stores, and um, the upper basket was completely clogged. So this this well driller had told this guy, remove your sediment filter, just completely take the whole thing out. There's no reason to have it. And, you know, it, it reminds me that we need to build relationships with the well drillers because, um Obviously, if this sediment filter is getting clogged up, then it's going to, you know, there's there's issues with his water. <laughs> he needs to he needs to uh, make sure he's taking all that out before it hits the other equipment. Um, so I I went ahead and I just kind of shared my story on there. Of course, I did not call out this well driller. Didn't even mention that he was in the area. Um, but just said, you know, it's best if you go ahead and leave it in there, get a bigger micron, you know, look into the issue, possibly you need something done with your well. So just a, a little reminder there. Um, well, I used to tell people, yeah. I'm sorry, if I no, could comment ahead. on that real quick. Yeah. Um, I used to tell people because, you know, you would, you know, the other problem with sediment filters is that people don't change them. You run in, you run across that too, you know, and so I used to make it very clear to people um, it's better to have a filter on any water softener or any any system like that. It's better to have a filter than to not have a filter. It's better to not have a filter 
if you're not going to change it is is the way I used to word it. Uh, but it's really important. I'm not aware of any water softener out there that the warrant where the warranty covers damage caused from sediment or debris. And so it is really important. This is why doing a thorough water test when you go into the home, when you're selling stuff and making sure, you know, take a white bucket and run a hose into it. And if you see sediment and debris down, you know, which obviously there was a lot of it um, mm -hmm. coming out, you know, if it clogged that upper basket within four days, there was there's going to be quite a bit of sediment. You'd be able to see that. Run it in a bucket. You know, you swirl it around like a toilet bowl, right? You put the hose in and you run it around in a white bucket, and you'll see debris and sediment down in the bottom of that bucket if they have it. And if they have that, they need a sediment filter or a spin-down filter, which, you know, would, has the blow-off valves and takes out the sediment. And um, I'm not going to go into details if you guys don't know what those are. We'll, we'll talk about those another time or offline. But, um, you know, a lot of times when you have that amount of sediment, the problem is bigger than something just an inline filter is going to take care of. You've either got a cracked well screen, which the well driller should likely know about, um, or you, um, you know, you've you've just got bigger issues. And so uh, that's where um, you know you might look and uh, it's, it's sometimes fixing the sediment is like it, when people put a filter on it, it's like putting a bucket under a leaky roof. You know, and yeah, it's going to keep the the floor from flooding, but you got to constantly empty that bucket, and and you know, it's the better option is to fix the roof to stop the leak in the first place, and that's that's sometimes when you have that much sediment, what um, what needs to happen. So, um, and then we, Jen, you just gave me the idea. We we it's been a long time since we talked about um, building relationships with people like well drillers or um, you know, uh, plumbers, and because it's there, there are considerations there when you're, you know, you'd think it's a match made in heaven, but it's, you know, keep in mind that a lot of times well drillers are not fans of water treatment companies because they're going out there and they're digging a well and they're telling people how great the water is and how how you know how awesome the water is, and they have a water treatment guy coming right behind them, telling them how bad the water is. You know, there there are ways to approach that where you can work together. You know, and and develop those relationships. They're two different specialties, two different expertise that should go hand in hand. Um, so, but we'll look for that topic in the coming weeks because I think we we could spend some time on that. Anyway, what's your your second? One? Yeah. So the other one is um, <clears throat> keeping an eye on your Google reviews. Uh, we have a and and this leads into a little bit of what you were talking about building relationships with plumbers, but um, we have a rental home and the sewer it was starting to back up in the basement. And Michigan's had a ton of rain; basements are flooding, you know, really bad. And at first, that's what they we thought it was. Um, but we had our tenant; he called up and he says, "Hey, I've got you know, it's starting to get worse." So. He knew a, a buddy of his that had um, that does plumbing, and so he called him up, and they charged us $200 just to come out and use the auger for the drain, and that didn't work, so another $200 to use the camera, and then came back and told us that it was going to cost $13,000 to fix it, that our um, the pipe that runs to the road was collapsed. And 
we just had this replaced like five years ago. And so we found it really hard to believe that it was already collapsed. So we called the original company out and um, it took a minute to figure out who the original company was because we didn't own the home at the time. But um, it was a company that I had seen on Facebook and they had, or I'm sorry, on Google. And they only had 4.5 stars. And, you know, I try to get as close to five as possible if I'm, and I look at reviews. And so I I went through and I, um, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not going to use that company. They only have 4.5 stars. So, and I didn't even look at their reviews. Company came out that originally did it from the time that they had um, pulled in the driveway to the time that they were putting their equipment back into the truck was 10 minutes. They were able to go in, auger it, clean out, had a great big clump of something, and um, then, you know, everything was good. Turned on all the faucets, everything ran great, no problems. So, um, you know, of course, we're upset with the first company for charging us $400 to do nothing, but I went back to write a review for the company that did come out and and was able to take care of the issue. And I noticed they only had 4.5 stars. So I went and looked at the Google reviews. Some of these were had absolutely nothing to do with this company. Um, one of them was, we ate here and the food was horrible. Well, if you're eating mm. at a plumbing supply store, <laughs> the it's food probably yeah. is going to. <laughs> and, Wrong um, kind of seasoning. Yeah. <laughs> Tasted like poop. <laughs> Sorry, what, am I allowed to say poop on here? Um, oh, yes. Absolutely. One of my favorite words. And then there was another one that said, I'm not sure if it was your driver or not. It said any time on the truck, but he cut me off. How how do we know that it was that yeah. driver, that it was that company? Yeah. The company was yeah. any time, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so you know, it's good to go back and look at the reviews. Um, and I figured it out. There was another one that just didn't have any reply, and it was a one star. I know those sometimes happen by accident. Um, but they should have had a 4.9 when I went yeah. back and added everything up. So um, keep an eye on your Google reviews. The other part of that is what an awesome way to build a relationship with a plumber is, you know, what they told us was you should go every year, have the drain augered out. It's 100 bucks mm-hmm. once a year to yeah. have it done. Preventative. Yep. So when we go ahead and we're – we're draining in a basement or wherever um, where we want to make sure that the drain isn't going to back up. That's what a way to recommend somebody is to say, you know what, you're going to want to make sure you have that cleaned out maybe once a year. It's a hundred, 120 bucks um, just to make sure there's no issues. I know a great company. So um, great segue into talking, you know, building a relationship with the plumber. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, thank you, Jen. That, that excellent, excellent um, topics and, and ideas and thoughts. Um, I want to take the last 15 minutes that we have here and talk about our topic today, though. Um, you know, this is this is something that often comes up, and I remember. Okay, every sales trainer that's out there that I've ever heard, they always talk about price versus value and 
and you know, and they've they've got their systems down the way they talk about them and, and everything. You know, they I remember Tom Hopkins, um, who those of you have uh, heard me talk before. I really like Tom Hopkins. Some of it I disagree with. Some of it's old school in my opinion. Um, some of it doesn't translate to the water treatment industry. But there, but the stuff that does, he's really good. You know, if you can listen to it, there's. Uh, listen to the audio recording of how to master the art of selling anything, or or, or read it. It's just it's a you're going to pick stuff up. It's really good. Corey, I remember you making the comment before that when you listened to it um, or read it, it was like, oh yeah, that's where Kelly got that because there is a lot of stuff in there that I um, have used and, and adapted. Um, one of the things though that he always said is you can't build, you can't talk about price until you build the value. And I agree with that for the most part. Um, it's in, he also talks about in that same, that same vein there that people, salespeople, you know, there are different, different types of salespeople. There's different types of sales. Some people, when you watch or listen to their sales presentation, it's all focused on price, price, price. Sell, sell, sell. The price. And it's always the lowest price. We can beat that price. We'll match any competitor's price. He talks a lot about that. We'll, we'll match or be any competitor's price. Okay, he talks a lot about that. He talks about, you know, everything is focused. And so there are a lot of salespeople out there that that's how they know how to sell, is by selling on price. And, um, and you know, it, it's sort of, you can tell it in their, in their presentation. So when they come to work for the water treatment industry. Generally speaking, most companies will have a couple different options. They'll have, a lot of times, they'll have their main brand, their main manufacturer that they sell. You know, they, they are a XYZ dealer, right? And they'll have that. And then they'll have an alternative unit that is more generic, you know, to be a generic clack valve um, you know, just a regular WS1 or a Fleck or an Autotrol or something less expensive. In my case, coming into the industry, um, you know, some some uh, 20 years ago, 20, 23 years ago almost, um, when I was, you know, we the one the main product we had that we carried was actually one of the most expensive in the area. I mean, we were that that particular product was absolutely more expensive than pretty much anybody else's. Um, and then we carried a, a less expensive, a more generic. It was just a, uh, a Fleck 5600 is, you know, the, one of the common ones. We also had a otter hole that we would carry sometimes, you know, and put in. And they were they were about half the price of the name brand, um, the the known manufacturer that we carried. Um, and um, it was it was interesting to see some of the salespeople. Uh, that were out there, um, they would they would close like crazy. They would have a a massive closing ratio, you know, a really high closing ratio. But they would only sell the smaller, or the, I'm sorry, not the smaller, but the less expensive units. They would not sell the higher end units. Um, and you know, massive, a really good closing ratio. They closed a lot of customers. But it was um, even then, even just always selling kind of the lower price stuff was they never had 100%, you know, it was more 70 to 80%. Um, and then there were some that had a lower closing ratio, significantly lower closing ratio, um, but they almost exclusively sold the more expensive unit. I tried to 
find a balance uh, in, in both of those. So I remember when the company that was purchased, you know, I, I, so I, I usually did an average of 300, 350 units a year. Um, a little over, so usually between 200 and 250 of those were the, of the expensive name brand, and that left 100 or so that were um, the less expensive ones. Okay, that that I would sell. So two thirds of what I what I sold was the more expensive one, um, but I did sell some of the the less expensive ones as well. I remember when the the company that I worked for was purchased by um, the largest. Well, I, most of you know I grew up in the Connecticut world. They were purchased by by one of the largest Connecticut dealers in the country. And one of the very first things that happened was a dramatic price increase. I mean, we're talking $1,000 on the primary unit. The, the price went up across the board. It increased to all. So already the system that that softener was, you know, that that we sold was already in the area one of the most expensive. Now, in that particular area, um, again, we, we were a Connecticut dealer at the time. Connecticut was very well known, well recognized, well respected um, in that area. Um, and so, but it was, as a sales guy, it was hard because suddenly, I mean, we were already one of the most expensive units out there. And, and suddenly we went to, you know, the, there was a price increase of 800 to $1,000 on that unit. What I found what happened was, now I have a straight commission also. Many of you listening to this call, you have a, a base or a small base or whatever, you know, I, I was straight commission. And it was, the company sold it the same way they always tend to try and sell it to salespeople. You know, we have the pricing. Price increases are necessary. I mean, most of, many of you on this call right now are listening to this are in a situation where if you haven't had a price increase, you need to have a price increase because all the prices are going up. Demand is going up, supply is going down, and, and manufacturers are increasing prices pretty much across the board. You can expect, and, and don't be fooled, but you, you're not the only one in the area having a price increase, so do it now while everybody else is doing it. You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're not a not-for-profit. Your companies are probably going to have a price increase, but then the, the companies all come in with the salespeople and say, well, you're basically getting a raise because you're going to get, you know, that increases your ticket price and, and therefore you get more commission. And yes, that's true, but it's hard, you know, because you're used to it being a certain price and many of us are only know how to sell on price. We're, we're not doing a good job of selling the value of that equipment, you know, we're we're we've always it's always been taught to you know we see it all over. You open the newspaper and you look at the ads you see on TV: sale, free, buy one get one free. We'll match any competitor's price. That that is the the way so many people advertise and put that stuff out there. So it, there's no no surprise that that's how most of us know how to sell because it's what we've mostly been exposed to. Okay, but m many of you on this call, most of you on this call don't sell a box store or an entry-level product. You have a name brand, top-of-the-line, high-quality product that you can offer. You know, it, and, and I'll tell you what happened. When, they came, when the company came in and raised the prices, suddenly I found that for the next couple months, I did start selling the less expensive ones. I started justifying it because, look, I mean, the truth is a, a regular 
basic WS1 CLAC water softener valve will give you, if you've got 15 grains of hardness in the water and you run it through that softener and the softener is sized properly and functioning properly, is it going to make, is the, the one that is $3,000 or $4,000 that you carry on your product line, is it going to make the water any softer than that $1,500 WS1? What do you guys think? I mean, if you've got 15 grains of hardness, is the water going to be any softer coming out of the $4,000 unit versus the $1,500 unit? Anybody, anybody no. have a guess on that? It's going to be the exact same water, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so I got to tell you, for the first couple months after they had this price increase, I found myself selling this less expensive unit quite a, quite a bit. And until the owner came in and cut our commission on the less expensive units, he said, you only get, you know, we're everybody, we're, we're, we're a Connecticut dealer. We need to be selling Connecticut's. And, and you know what it forced me to do? What I had done is I had forgotten something very, very, very key about sales. And it's something that, that I, I, if there's one point that comes out of this, um, this topic, it's that I want you to remember that it is not your story. It's your customer's story. It's what they want. It's your job to be the expert, to present to them the options, and to recognize what's there, um, you know, what you have, all right? Make it their story. Give it, make it their choice. And what I realized I was doing initially, and, it, and this, the proof was in the pudding, because suddenly when I, I was de-incentivized to really talk about, only talk about the, that less expensive unit, I suddenly started selling a lot more of the more expensive ones. And it because it because I went in and I started I started talking about them objectively. Now that's not to say that I didn't I still sold some of the less expensive ones. Okay, but I but it was interesting how that number jumped back up again, back to what it had used you know, what it used to be. It, the customers really didn't it wasn't about the price for them. It wasn't about that higher dollar amount. Some people Look, some people, yes, right? Not everybody is buying a Mercedes or a BMW or a, you know, a Cadillac or, or a higher-end vehicle. There are, there are some people out there driving less expensive vehicles, you know, just because they may want to drive one of those nicer luxury vehicles. They, may not, they simply may not have it in their budget to be able to do it. it there, there's, there's a lot of reasons why some people, you know, some people buy on price, not because that's all they do, but that's because that's all they have a choice of doing. Of those people, let's serve them, help them, take care of them. So how do we build the value in the name brand equipment? First thing you need to do is if you have a brochure on each piece of equipment, take a look at them and take a, take a little marker or a pen or something and look at your bullet points because they're brochures all say the same thing. I mean, first off, we all know they have the same picture, the same baby in suds, and the same woman drinking water, and, the, and a dog somewhere in there, and, and, you know, people, they're all the same stock photos they put on these marketing brochures. And then you have the same bullet points, right? Most efficient water softener. Um, I mean, just go through. You, you, you'll see, the, pull out the two systems that you're deciding on what to carry and look at your, you know, to present to your customers, okay? And, and just cross out 
the, the things that are the same, the things that are exactly the same. And what you might have left are one or two bullet, and maybe it's not on the brochure, maybe it's in the, the service or owner's manual that you're looking at it in terms of features, okay? Um, but find one or two differences between those units. You don't need that. There doesn't have to be 10 differences in them. Okay, maybe it's warranty. Maybe it's a little better warranty. Maybe maybe one is made in the USA and one is made overseas. If that's you know what you're what you're talking about. Um, maybe uh, you know maybe one has a dry brine tank and the other is a wet you know a wet brine tank. Maybe maybe one has a 90-day service history and the other has a 30-day service history or none at all. Right. But find those those differences. And that, that begins to help you. But also the thing I want you to remember is when you go to the grocery store, and most people know this. They know it because they, they, they know it intuitively, okay? But the generic box of cornflakes that sits right next to the Kellogg's box of cornflakes is usually often made by Kellogg's. Right? It's usually the same, the same manufacturer. When you look at the label, it says, I mean, Costco certainly does that, right? Now, Costco's done a pretty good job of marketing that, so a lot of people buy the Kirkland brand because they know that it's a name brand system. But if you go to your local grocery store and you look at, you know, your Kroger brand is made by major brands. So why don't the Kroger brand sell better than the Kellogg's? than the name brand. And what do you guys think? I mean, why, why do people, why do most people buy that name brand? More expensive. They right? think it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. I, so, case in point, my, um, years ago, we were in Florida and we found banana flavored Oreos. My husband and my daughter love banana flavored. So we got them there, couldn't ever find them up here, couldn't find them again. My sister works for um, Hershey, so she's like, well, I'll talk to the um, Nabisco guy and see where you can get them at. He's like, they only private label the banana flavor anymore for Walmart and I think it was Publix. Yeah, yeah. So he said the Walmart banana-flavored Oreos come right off the line in the Oreo plant right next to the ones that are labeled Oreo. But... My daughter swears it didn't taste the same. <laughs> yeah, it, it's and that's so. Here's the thing, guys. It, I, we're we're at nine o'clock here, and I need to wrap to wrap this up. This, these calls always go by so fast sometimes. But here's here's the lesson that I want you to remember when it comes to how. Um, to, there's a lot more we could have talked about with this, but but here's what I here's the takeaway that I want you to have with this. Okay, when you go to the grocery store and you see the Nabisco banana-flavored Oreos, and you see the generic banana-flavored Oreos right next to each other, that is as objective as it gets. They may be the same. Maybe they're similar, okay? Maybe that's the case. Maybe they are slightly different, a slightly different ingredient. But that, this is, a, is a, as objective as it gets. The customer is looking at these two items, and they get to choose which one they buy. You don't have a salesperson there directing them 
towards one or the other. So here's the takeaway that I want to give you. Make sure you are giving the choice to the customer. Okay, they, they may be asking, what's the difference? Okay, you should probably have an answer to that, and, you know, to taking a look at that, to, to understand, it, you know, are there one or two key differences? Because mostly they are similar. But find those one or two key differences there and have an answer to it. But most importantly, present the options objectively, the same way. Make yourself that grocery store shelf and give them the option. Do they choose the, the name, the brand that they're familiar with? Many of them will. It's the nature of how people buy. Don't assume that they're only buying on, on price. Okay, um, we'll take 30 or 60 seconds. Any final comments? Anybody have any comments on that? Like, like I said, there's a lot more we could talk about on this topic, but, um, but it, it, the biggest thing is to remember that it's, it's their story, not yours. Uh, present the items, present the options, and, and let them choose. What, um, any comments? Okay. Um, with that, you guys, I thank you so much um, for, for being on the call, like I said. Uh, and we will talk to you next week, if not before. So be safe, everybody. Thank you so much.